Hello and welcome. You're watching We the People. I'm Rishika Barua. The tunnel collapse in Uttarakhand has made national and international headlines. The entire country, the world, in fact, is glued to the story. And there's a prayer on every lip for the 41 labourers and for their families. And there is also a silent prayer for our hill states. A prayer we've been saying all too often as we watch the Himalayas unravel. From the Kedarnath floods that killed over 500 people back in 2013 to the Uttarakashi cloudburst in 2019, the infamous floods in Chamoli in 2021 to now 2023, where the sinking of Joshimat, the flash floods and landslides in Himachal Pradesh, the glacial outbursts in Sikkim, and now this tunnel collapse. So all of these instant instances that we've been reading, that we've been watching. have only revealed the repercussions of unchecked development and climate change particularly in the state of Uttarakhand speaking of uttarakhand the state has seen a 33% increase in built up area in the last 20 years 11000 km of road has been built since 2017 studies have shown that landslides in fact have doubled due to widening of these roads Tectonic instability has only increased due to unchecked construction. So if Uttarakhand, the most rapidly growing state, has a fragile ecology which we know of, have we really accounted for the risks? The answer, well at least anecdotally speaking, appears to be a firm no. Disaster management data shows that 2023 saw the highest death toll due to landslides in 8 years in Uttarakhand with more than 1100 incidents of landslides big and small being reported let's look at the silkara tunnel project part of the controversial chardham highway project aimed at connecting or better connectivity between kedarnath badrinath yamnotri and gangotri now there is no doubt that this project indeed would be a boon but environmentalists have petitioned the supreme court against it the supreme court then set up a high powered panel which raised several red flags this panel talked about things like the lack of understanding of terrain sensitivity this panel talked about stretches of slopes that were cut without adequate thought to stability in the area this panel has talked about the unchecked loss of forests topsoil trees green cover and new unstable slopes being used on the chardham route The panel unfortunately had its differences there were two separate reports that were submitted eventually in 2021 the supreme court allowed this double lane chardham project to continue so given the apparent threat to the ecosystem of the mountains which is visible to all of us the question now is is all development in india's hill states akin to disaster where do we really go from here have we reached a point of no return Remember we are all pro development everybody wants four lane highways connecting the char dhams it's a fantastic idea but is it really sustainable at what cost are these development projects in india's hill states coming to us at and is the cost perhaps too high joining me this evening in the delhi studio malika bhanoch is a member of ganga havan she's one of those activists who's worked extensively in conservation in uttarakhand ravi chopra environmental scientist he in fact headed the supreme court directed experts body to investigate hydropower related issues after the 2013 kedarnath disaster atul sathi activist and convener of the group joshimat bachao We have Anup Nautyal, he's a social worker in Uttarakhand, and Yashpal Sundaral, who's a geologist Ariyo. and also professor from Uttarakhand. Thank you all very much uh, for being Ariyo. with us on the show today. I want to begin, uh, uh, Mr. Ravi Chopra, if I can, by asking you. Uh, you know, while 
whatever has happened so far, there are several questions associated with development projects like Chardham. And Chardham is just one of the examples of development projects across the Himalayan states that is that, that's raised several red flags. The question now is, where do we go from here? You know, is all development that takes place in the hill states, so nobody is anti-development, but if, is all development now going to be equal to a disaster? It need not be so. There are certain types of infrastructural projects like dams. I would say that time is over. Dams are a technology of the past century, not of this century. Uh, in order to proceed with infrastructure activities in the Himalayan region, there is a crying need for undertaking very serious prior geological and ecological investigations. In the absence of adequate geological investigations, we see the kind of problems that you have alluded to. But I would also caution that the ecology is also very critical. We have no idea of what sensitive species are being lost. And each species in the web of life has a role to play. We are all interconnected. And this aspect is missing when the projects are planned. Right. Third, one, one more point. See, most of these projects are being designed, particularly the hydro projects, using data of past climate. We are in the midst of a climate change regime. Hmm. And the climate change is overtaking us. We are simply not prepared for this. And unless we take that into account, we will see even more severe disasters. But to go back to your question, if we take care of these critical aspects, I think we can proceed with development, albeit at a slower pace. There's no need to hurry. Right. I think that's a very important point. And there are two, three, uh, you know, important points that you've raised. And I'm very glad that you've raised those because, you know, we can sort of deconstruct that uh, with our eminent panel today. Uh, Professor Sondrial, if I can come to you as a geologist, as an expert, uh, you know, just taking off from what Ravi Chopra just said about the fact that, you know, were geological surveys conducted? Where are those reports? Why is the geology of the place not being taken into consideration? Because it does appear from whatever information is coming out about a lot of these projects that, you know, for instance, this is a tragedy that we're seeing unravel that could have entirely been avoided. Okay, geologically, all are aware that the Himalaya is highly sensitive. Its slopes are highly sensitive. And uh, uh, if I will, uh, I will give you example of two things. Uh, Ravi Chopra, sir, headed a committee con uh, constituted by the Supreme Court. And uh, the issue is, uh, you are widening the roads. You have budget for the road widening. You have budget for the construction of new roads. But government has not made any provision for the slope stability. So for slope is, stability? Yeah, right. slope stability. Okay. And uh, due to unstable slope, you have just shown uh, data that uh, in 2023, uh, the uh, amount of the landslide was much higher. Yes. 
as compared to the uh, previous year. So this, uh, the cause of this landslide were the widening of the roads, number one. Number two, uh, directly come to the, that uh, Silkara tunnel, uh, and uh, 41 uh, people are, and their family are awaiting uh, that, uh, how they will come out. Uh, government is making efforts. Uh, I will appreciate their efforts, but the question is, if the rock type was so weak, the rock type was phyllite, siltstone, and the slate, hmm. which we consider very weak rock. Yes. If you are constructing a tunnel in such an area, then techno technological, uh, technically, the support system should be very good. Right. This is not a natural calamity. The Silkara tunnel, uh, what has happened in Silkara, it is not a natural calamity. Yes. It is anthropogenic kind of human-induced calamity. Yes. So, if they would have ignored, they, they would have considered the recommendation of the geologist, I don't know, that any geologist can write that these rocks are suitable for the construction of the tunnel. I believe so. I so don't either, know what was... either a proper geological survey was not conducted or the recommendations or findings of any geologist you're saying, yeah. you know... If, if, they, if they were taken into consideration, this entire episode would not have happened. Yes. That's it very would, simply what you're have, saying. It would have been different. But isn't that, Malika Bhanot, the story with Uttarakhand and the story with our hill states in general? I know we're focusing particularly on Uttarakhand today. But, you know, what Professor Sondrial has just said, I think sums it up. Are these surveys being conducted? Is the viability of projects like Chardham across hill states being actually studied from an ecological point of view? So, very importantly, what you have to understand is that there are a lot of studies, there are a lot of alarms that the environmentalists keep raising, but nobody is listening. They keep going back to it. Today, we have Dr. Ravi Chopra amongst us. In 2013, when the disaster happened, there was a Supreme Court panel set up. He was heading that. He said that, look, put an early warning system because right now we are in climate uh, insurgi, in, insurgency sort of a mode. So put right. an early warning system so that these flash floods do not take more lives. Nobody put. What happened was that in 2021, when there is a Rishi Ganga flash flood, 200 people. I mean, right now we are talking about these 41 alive people who are, uh, who yes, are stuck yes, in the tunnel. Yes. But 200 people working on the tunnel of Tapovan Vishnu Guard, they were just dumped. They were buried away. under the debris. Yeah. I mean, that is like literally you see those videos that people are standing on the barrage waiting for their death to come and they're swept away by tides. Then secondly, we talk about this Chardham Pariyojana. Now, you would be surprised that Chardham Pariyojana is a road widening project of 900 kilometers. I have been repeatedly, we all of us, in fact, the court case has also had this major standing that this 900 kilometer long project was cut into 53 small bits each less than 100 kilometers so that an environment impact assessment is bypassed so that the project can be implemented in a smaller duration of time. Well, the environment impact assessment is one of the primary studies that you have to do, especially in such a fragile zone that you're working. Then obviously this was to, this was to happen. Mm. We were just, it was just about when, first of all. Then secondly, very importantly, you have to understand that uh, when the DPR is formed of a particular project, which is called a detailed project report, in this particular case of Chardham, the engineers themselves had pointed out 
that the road width should not be what they have taken. Yes. Right now, the road width is around 10 meters, 12 meter formation width. So they had suggested that the road width should be a little lesser because if the road width is lesser, then the then the uh, then the cutting which is required will also be less. Okay. The engineers had recommended that that was not that was totally ignored. Then their own circular. But there was of a 2000, difference of opinion on that recommendation. No, no, no. That was a that was a recommendation which had no difference of opinion. Okay. That was a recommendation within the ministry. Right. In 2018, the Ministry of Road Transport takes out a circular and says that in the Himalayan states or in the hills, an intermediate road width of 5.5 meters is the only way to go forward. Hmm. Otherwise, we lose precious trees hmm. and deforestation and consequently slope instability. Hmm. They themselves said it. Did they do it? No. Then again, Ravi Chopra says the HPC high-powered committee again recommended reduction of road width, which is when the difference of opinion came into the picture. Hmm. So the point is that there are people, hmm. they are saying that do not do this X, Y, Z. Hmm. But who is listening? You keep going back to this every time we are here talking about disaster to disaster. Hmm. And, and then when the control. disaster fades out, the yes. memory fades out yes. and you can go back to can it. We really, can we really then congratulate ourselves for any kind of damage control exercise? Because it does appear that all we're doing in the hill states now is damage control. Because like you're saying, if environment assessment reports are being bypassed, I mean, the impact on the environment is not something you can bypass. That is that is going to happen and that is how the story is unfolding. Um, Atul Sati, I want to bring you in here because, you know, you were part of a, mm. uh, of an action group that, that worked extensively in Joshimat. And Joshimat is, a, is, is, you know, a very crucial piece of the Uttarakhand story, isn't it? I want to understand from you, you know, when the Joshimat story happened, uh, once again, it grabbed national and international headlines. What's really been done? Apart from people being relocated to safety, what has really been done? And, you know, is another Joshimat just, just waiting to happen? Or have we done something to mitigate a Joshimat-like situation? I don't think so. Uh, yes, something like that has been done. Hmm. इस सरकारें चेतेंगी और जोशीमठ के लिए ही पर्टिकुलरली तो बहुत बड़ी बात नहीं थी जिस तरह का नेशनल इंटरनेशनल मीडिया का टेंशन इस पर हुआ था तो ये उम्मीद की जानी चाहिए थी कम से कम जोशीमठ को लेकर के सरकार गंभीर होती और यहां विस्थापन पुनर्वास जोशीमठ के स्थायीकरण स्टेबलाइजेशन के लिए कुछ काम होता इतने बड़े आंदोलन का दबाव था कि सरकार केंद्र सरकार ने पैसा भी जारी कर दिया बहुत सारी स्टडी भी हो गई उसके बाद भी हम देख रहे हैं कि जमीन पर ना उन स्टडीज का कुछ आ, उन पर कोई काम हो रहा है ना विस्थापन पुनर्वास को लेकर के अभी जमीनी तौर पर कुछ काम हुआ है और जो है जोशीमठ का जो स्थायीकरण का काम होना था जिसके लिए केंद्र सरकार ने पैसा तक जारी कर दिया और पैसा जारी किए हुए भी दो महीने से ज्यादा हो गया लेकिन जमीन पर हम कोई काम होता हुआ नहीं देख रहे हैं अभी भी जोशीमठ में ही चल रही है अभी जोशीमठ में स्थिति क्या है जोशीमठ में स्थिति वही है लोगों के घरों में दरारें हैं लगातार लोग उसको लेकर के परेशान हैं कि वो कहां जाएंगे उनका भविष्य क्या होगा उनका जीवन क्या होगा 
इसको लेकर के लोगों में तमाम तरह की आशंकाएं हैं लेकिन अभी तक कोई निर्णय उनके जीवन को लेकर के भविष्य को लेकर के वो कहाँ जाएंगे जाकर के रहेंगे इस बात को लेकर के और जोशीमठ जो कि पूरा शहर है इसके स्थायीकरण इसके स्टेबिलाईजेशन को लेकर के हमने तो कहा था कि नए जोशीमठ का निर्माण होना चाहिए उसको लेकर के जमीनी तौर पर कोई काम हमको होता हुआ दिखाई नहीं दे रहा है what we understand you know from what uh, atul has also just said is that you know in principle on paper there are a lot of things that are said and discussed but at the end of the day it does appear to be a one sweep bypass you know expedite these development projects log in the kilometers as far as laying of roads is concerned you know very 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 crucial ecological impact issues are completely being brushed aside and the impact is now here for all of us to see the question that i asked at the very outset where do we go from here so rishika uh, you know a lot is uh, said all the time you know about the fragility of the himalayas and so on and so forth so there are three new uh, uh, elements or aspects that i would like to bring uh, to this particular debate and i think it's it will perhaps not only be helpful for your audience but for anybody else you know who's going to see this at a later point of time so i want to speak uh, today about three separate issues but i know that you have a paucity of time so uh, i will start with the so the first one in fact is uh, the fragility specifically of uttarakhand you know so i'm going to refer to that the second one is going to be an economic uh, perspective about uh, uttarakhand uh, mm. particularly Hmm. and the third one is going to relate to governance so kindly allow me to finish the first part sure and if you think that i can go on just let me know otherwise you can stop me and we can leave the economic part and the governance part for later is that uh, go ahead go ahead make, make your point me? make your point all right so uh, rishika you know everyone says uh, the himalayas or the indian himalayan region is fragile we all know that yes the question then is that amongst the 11 states and union territories that make up the indian himalayan region is it any particular state or is it any particular set of states which are more even more vulnerable than the others hmm. and the answer to that question is uh, uttarakhand so right. amongst the 11 uh, indian himalayan region states and union territories uttarakhand is the one which is most sensitive even within uttarakhand when we when you look at our state there are 13 districts nine of them happen to be uh, in the hill part of our state five of them are in what we call the garhwal region and four are in the kumau region now i would like to refer to uh, a report by none else but isro and its uh, counterpart organization called the national remote sensing center right. so these are these are of course you know you can call them marquee institutions you know so well known yes and isro and uh, the nrsc had jointly released a report in the month of february in 2023 called the landslide atlas of india okay so this is a very very significant report and i am you know frankly i i i wish that you know the entire country was discussing about these uh, reports much mm. more in depth mm. Mm. now what does the landslide atlas of india But, tell us yes the, the landslide atlas of india tells us that among 17 states and two union territories in the country in 147 districts the most sensitive district from a landslide perspective is the district of rudraprayag in uttarakhand hmm. the number two district on this 147 national district list is tihri hmm. amongst the top 30 But most sensitive landslide districts in india yes 
Five of them are from Garhwal Himalayas. Hmm. So, you know, we've spoken about Rudraprayag, which houses the Kedarnath Shrine. We've spoken about Tiri. We've also got Chamoli. We've got uh, uh, Uttarkashi. We've got Pauri. And you know, all these other districts. I, so the point that I, I simply, Rishika, allow me to complete, please. I really, no, one sec. I just, I just want to say I really appreciate the, you know, the details that you're sharing with us. But I also at the same time want to question here that, you know, if these details are available with experts like yourselves, if these reports are out there in the public domain, then, you know, one is almost certain that the people who are engaging in developmental work in these hilly states, in these sensitive areas like you've just described, are also aware of these reports. So, Rishika, that's that's a, that's frankly, you know, that is another tragedy, you know, and that's a tragedy of governance because what is ISRO? What is NRSC? ISRO and NRSC are government of India institutions. So, so the government of India and the state government of Uttarakhand right. are themselves not Ravi, listening to Ravi government Chopra of India reports. In. You know. So, so how ironical, how how yes. tragic, yes. and how ironical it can get. Yes. So, on Mr. the Ravi one hand, Chopra you have environmental wants to come laws. In. Go ahead, Mr. I, Ravi Chopra wants yeah. to come in. So you'll have to unmute yourself, please. I want to elaborate on this uh, governance issue with respect to the Chardham Pariyojana. You see, the program itself was a rushed program. And basically, shortcuts were taken. Mm -hmm. As Malika pointed out, the EIA was not done. And EIA mandates a disaster management plan. Now, the last few weeks have shown us that the government says that horizontal cutting, vertical cutting, obviously there is no disaster management plan over there. Okay. Second, there has been a, a known violation of the law which Malika has pointed out that the Ministry of Road Transport had a notification in place in March of 2018 hmm. that the width of roads in the mountain areas should be five and a half meters. And here they went ahead with 10 meters yes. throughout the Chardham Pariyojana in violation of its own notification. Now, had the road been narrower, yes. a lot of these tragedies have been averted and particularly the Silkiara tunnel, the surface area increases enormously in a region where the geologists have already told us that this is a weak region. Hai. Right. And so no matter what data exists, the work that is being done is a rush job. So, it is you know, being we've done been, in a we've hurry. We've been pushed to a brink and it's a consequence of our own decisions. I think that's very evident from what all of you have said. We also have a young audience with us here and we the people this evening. I want to give them a chance. You have questions. Go ahead. So, my one, question... One quick, one quick response. Yes, Look, please. It is not our fault. It is the fault of the government and the decision makers. Absolutely. Don't blame the rest of the country a for it. Absolutely. That's exactly what I meant. That these reports are available. Government reports are available with the government and they haven't acted on it. Yes, you have questions. So my question is that if there are environmental assessment reports that are being ignored or not taken much into consideration, then what other measures can be taken up? And if so, then what kind of interventions and key, uh, that can be taken up at an individual level or a community level and can technology play a role in such kind of interventions to reduce environmental crisis like this? Malika, you want to answer that? Yeah. It's a loaded question. 
that's a loaded question. So uh, this environmental crisis, it's not an environmental crisis, first of all. It's a man-made crisis, right? Yes. So it's a man-made crisis. We have to differentiate between the two. It was man-made because the recommendations were not applied. Now, why is it, what is it that we can do at an individual level? As Rishik also kept asking, okay, where do you go from here? I just joined both the things. So I'll give you one example. As far as, you know, all of us panelists who are working in the field of environment, all of us will give you that what is, has, has happened. But I'll tell you that in terms of conservation, that what is it that you can do in terms of how the development in the hill state should happen? Yes. So there is that one thing, there is like this this silver lining, which is basically a 100 kilometer stretch, which is called a Bhagirathi eco-sensitive zone. So back in 2010, there were hydropower projects being built on the last stretch of the Ganga. And if those hydropower projects would have been built, then there would have been no national river flowing left in the country. So the government that time decided that this area will be declared as an eco-sensitive zone. Now, that eco-sensitive zone divides this entire activities into prohibitive... I'll have to interrupt you and tell you to make your point because yes, I'm, I'm not sorry. Time. I so, I'm trying to tell you that we have to basically uh, uh, ask the government, demand the government to declare eco-sensitive zones so that the development in these regions can be regulated. Okay, it cannot point. be fl- uh, blatant. Quickly, more questions. So, we all know what happened in Joshimut was not a natural disaster. As you mentioned that it was a man-made disaster. Despite the report of uh, 1976, 40 years ago, it was already estimated that uh, uh, the risks are already there. So, uh, why such warnings are ignored by the government? I think those are all questions. I'm actually going to end the broadcast. I'm out of time, I'm afraid. I'm going to end the broadcast on on that question because I think that just sums it up beautifully. Why are warnings being ignored? Why are why is one government agency not looking at another government agency report as our experts have asked? And in terms of solutions, I mean, why are eco-sensitive zones not being declared? Why are roads being cut up into smaller chunks so that an environment impact assessment, you know, can in fact be pushed under the carpet? I think there are several questions that really need to be asked. Uh, one sincerely hopes that, uh, you know, while we're all for development and we want better road connectivity to our hill states. We all want it. I think it can't come at the cost that it's currently coming to us at. The cost of development in our hill states is just far too high and therefore completely untenable. One sincerely hopes that the questions that we've raised here are answered in some form or the other. Till then, thank you all very much for joining us on this edition of We the People. That's all the time we have tonight.